Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 14, where we talk with Chuck of Prairie Farmstead. And if you can get some feet on the ground on their place to see how they're doing it, you know, you won't have those crazy nights when your first batch of heifers run through all your electric fences. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. On today's episode, we have Chuck of Prairie Farmstead. And we talk about his journey from New York City to Wisconsin to Texas, reading books along the way, and now running stalkers. Also, we talk about watering systems and no-till. Before we get to Chuck, if you're new here, we'd like for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review at wherever you're listening to this podcast, and share this episode with someone you think would find it interesting. We appreciate you being here. Chuck, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Sure. Um, So I am uh, in Sherman, Texas. I am right on uh, Highway 75 north of Dallas, about one hour north of Dallas, almost on the Oklahoma border. I'm about 15, 20 minutes from Oklahoma. And um, we, I'm, you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not from Texas. I, I grew up in Western New York uh, near Buffalo on a, on a farm that's been in my family for generations for, for quite a long time. Um, originally it was, was a dairy farm. It's been a dairy farm for a very long time. And um, my grandparents sold the dairy cows when I was pretty young, four or five years old. And we kept the farm and we put a, a small herd of beef cattle on, on the pastures to keep them knocked down and to have some income from the pastures. It was usually 30 to 50 mama cows, plus or minus. Um, and I, I always enjoyed them. I really always enjoyed the beef cows, working with them, and then um, you know just everything related to it. And we started selling direct to consumer. Um, it would, I guess, it would be called pasture raised. Uh, grain finished or, or you know, pasture oh, yes. corn fed, maybe. Um, we started doing that probably when I was in middle school or high school. And so we started selling, we, we would run everything together. One herd, um, oh, yes. never took, never took the bulls out, you know, just, we had calves coming out whenever. Um, <laughs> yes. and, and so we would sell, sell halves and holes direct to consumers for freezer beef. And, um, that was kind of my introduction to beef cattle. Um, and I milked cows for neighbors in high school. I, at, from school, I'd go to a, a certain neighbor's farm and I'd milk cows for them in, in the afternoons. I, I really enjoyed that. Just being with the cows and, and working with those dairy cows, I, I enjoyed that. It was an all Jersey herd, so I got to know Jerseys a little oh, bit. Oh, yes. Um, in the summers when I wasn't in school, I made hay. It seems like I made hay all summer long, which it's hard to make oh, hay yeah. in New York it's hard to make hay in New York because it rains so much, but, but our summers were planting oats early and then making hay all summer long. And then, um, starting to combine in the fall before we went back to school. But that's kind of how I spent all my summers. And I, I just loved it. Um, kind of had the itch to farm, you know, from a pretty early age, just really enjoyed everything about it. So, um, we, I had heard, started to hear a little bit about rotational grazing. We had a, a couple dairy farms in our area that um, I don't now looking back, they, they may have been grass-based dairies, 
if not, they, they worked hard to manage their grass well to maximize, you know, uh, production. But I never really, I kind of heard of it, but I never really saw it. Um, and it was kind of just this foreign concept to me. I, I, I thought all beef cattle, you just have a perimeter fence and you let your herd out. Um, oh, yes. I knew a little, I knew some people pulled their bulls out. I didn't know that. We didn't, but <laughs> I, I, I'd heard, I, I knew some people did that, but, but um, it was such a small herd. It wasn't a big income generator. It was it's definitely on the back burner. It was more than a hobby, but it was, you know, not the focus. Um, so I, through a series of events, I came to Texas for college um, to get my engineering degree and, um, and went to Laterno University over in Longview and um, met my wife there. And then she went on, she, she's uh, enjoys school more than me. So she went on to grad school oh, and yeah. um, she went, she got accepted to a school in Wisconsin, Southeast Wisconsin. I followed her there, got a job there. And, um, in that area, there was quite the farmer's market and um, farm-to-table culture. Um, farm-to-table okay. restaurants were getting big, and yes. um, we enjoyed them. You know, our, our circle of friends enjoyed them, and, and we enjoyed the farmer's markets there. And and um, the, we were never really in a position to move to the country or to pursue, you know, my dream of farming while we were there because we were so focused on school and you know, my first job, I, I was in a cubicle doing design work. And um, so I had a lot of time on my hands because my wife was studying so much and didn't have many hobbies, you know, coming right out of school. <laughs> and so I, I read, I started reading a lot, which made a lot of people chuckle because I wasn't much of a reader and made my wife laugh because books from Amazon started showing up at the door. Oh, so yes. I, I, I just started consuming agriculture type literature um, just because it was a dream that I would get back into it someday and um, came across the movie uh, Food Inc. And I don't remember which year it was. It wasn't one that was just released, but um, a, a friend of ours, somebody said, hey, you, you guys should watch this movie called Food Inc. And so we watched it and it was it was one of the first times that I was introduced to this alternative agriculture out there that um, regenerated the land and yes. was organic, but not, not necessarily um, labeled certified organic. So it was kind of the first introduction. Right. So I said, I got to know, you know, I was like, oh, I got to know more about this. So I started researching more. And, and one of the, one of the farmers in that movie is, is Joel Salatin in Virginia. So I said, who is, you know, kind of, you know, who is this lunatic farm farmer? You know, who's this goofy, goofy guy? And uh, no offense, Joel, if you listen, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I had I had to know more. You know, it just kind of spiked this interest. Right. And um, it was something um, my my dad and my grandfather didn't farm organically, but they, they had this um, kind of regenerative mindset in a way that, um, you know, we can't plow the field on the hill every year. We're going to lose the topsoil. And, you know, some concepts that were kind of in the back of my head that um, were there. Um, they When they had a dairy, they didn't push corn silage or corn too much. It was lots of good hay and, and good, oh, yes. good silage. Not that I learned how to make good hay. I never really learned myself, but um, it w that was kind of the concept. So I, I had some of this stuff in the back of my head. Um, so that started me down a path of just starting to consume different books, reading different books. And then I took a 
took a job, same company, but in sales. I moved from design engineering to sales. And so I was on a plane quite a bit. And I would just, when I was on a plane, I'd read. <laughs> you know, I was, I was getting oh, paid yeah. to paid to read farm books on the plane. But, yeah, that's pretty uh, nice it, there. And uh, it was before every plane had Wi-Fi and you were, you know, yeah, before I was expected to get some work done. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, so that I, and after that, watching that movie, you know, one of the early books I read, I don't know if it was the first, was um, Joel's book, um, You Can Farm, I believe it's called. Um, and it's really kind of so a few steps of how, even if you don't have any family land or any, you know, experience in farming, here are some ways where you can start farming and, you know, leasing land, sm starting with maybe chicken or small ruminants moving up. Um, and then he also has a book uh, called, I think it's Salad Bar Beef. That was, that was an early book. Oh, yes. So that really started, you know, the, the gears turning, you could say. And um, so we, we moved back to Texas and after we were done in Wisconsin, we moved back to Texas to be close to her family. And um, she got a job here. I was able to keep doing my same job and uh, started looking for land. You know, I, but she she had kind of gotten the bug a little bit. You know, of course, it was my dream, but she started kind of getting the bug. Like, Let's find some land. Yes. Well, within an hour of Dallas, land isn't all that cheap. Um, and so we were struggling to find a farm or, or land that we could farm and, you know, raise a family, have a house, you know, without, yes. you know, having to completely rebuild an old house or, you know, whatever. So we were, we were, we were patient and we were looking, we ended up having our first kid while we were in our rental house in town and, and we just kept looking for land. And, um, at the same time, my in-laws were kind of, they, they lived closer to Dallas in a, a suburb of Dallas and they, they were kind of interested in land as well. And it all worked out that we found this really good deal on some unimproved land that was mostly hayfield and cattle pasture um, right here in Sherman. And um, it, it was a real good deal, but it, it was more than I wanted to buy plus put a house on, you know, because it didn't oh, yes. have a house. So um, what happened was my, my in-laws ended up buying the whole whole property and then I bought some from them and, and started building a house. So we, oh, okay. we built, yes. built a house. With that, kind of started a small farm from scratch because there wasn't anything here, and it was it was very inexpensive for the county average, and it was a hay field, and it kind of wondered why there was this hay field in the middle of these row crop fields. Well, the reason why there was a hay field in the middle of all these row crop fields is because it was on a knoll and the soil was pretty degraded, and uh, none of the row crop guys wanted it, you know. Um, oh yes, but. but uh, it probably been a couple decades since cattle were on it. The fences were gone or, you know, the barbed wire was there, but it was in the soil. Um, an old pond was there, but it was now just a little mud puddle it was silted in. And, and uh, so we just started, you know, started rebuilding it. So that, I think that was 16, 2016. When oh, okay. we started When we started, you know, doing that, got our house built, moved out here in 17 and um, tried just was like, okay, how do we get cattle out here? You know, like we moved in yes. like in, in, uh, I think it was June and I'm looking for cattle to get out there, you know, was, and I wasn't just going to go buy a herd of cattle or a group of cattle. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to buy. Well, 
a friend of ours from church was is running cattle and um, we talked a lot because we have quite a few similarities and 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 i somehow i talked him into letting me rotate a group of bred heifers across our farm um oh yes that that summer and so we had we had fixed the perimeter fence for the most part um and then we used some just single strand electric and these these heifers were accustomed to electric and to keep them where we want them in and so before they got here i i built a ton of paddocks like just all different shapes and sizes i had in my head that i had to have it all set up before they got here you know oh yeah and and, um he he brings them i can't remember how many gooseneck loads but it ended up being about 60 um bred heifers and um we planned to do like one big rotation on the farm and the first night the last load or two came in after dark because we were shuttling gooseneck trails. oh okay yes and so the first ones got there after dark and um we got a thunderstorm the same night and that first oh, night, no. they blew through all the single strand electric fence. You know, good thing we had the boundary. They blew through it all. Yes. And by the time I found them in the morning, you know, there's electric aluminum electric fence stringing behind them, you know, stuck to their. their oh, yes. It, it was just, you know, I, I one can of those, imagine that. One of those first lessons. So I, I, I was able to learn right. a lot. I was able to learn a lot on someone else's cattle right right away. You know, like all the all these little theory type you know, information that was in my head from reading all these different books was uh, in my head. And, you know, very quickly I learned what would work or wouldn't work for me or, you know, how, how to make those things work. So he he was really, really gracious and um, paid us a little bit. I don't remember exactly what the arrangement was, but we got paid for our time, you know, didn't make, didn't, didn't make money, but we, you know, probably paid for our time, you know, Um, and we did one full rotation around around the farm i by the time they left i was moving them every day um started slower but by the time they left i I was getting them down to figuring out how to get them moved every day and with water and um so they they left after i think it was six weeks or something like that and immediately like okay i guess our second our second kid was on the way so we were going to kind of take a break until the second kid came and um everything was good with that you know and um yes so then it was let's get some more cows and so we bought a we bought a group of weaned calves um the next spring so i think that would have been spring of 18 or so um off of a off of a local ranch and um like kind of i'm sorry if i'm kind of rambling but um oh through, no your through... story's great your journey is <laughs> what we want to hear about good deal so Reading all these different books, uh, you know, those first couple books from Joel, you know, led into, you know, a few books from from Greg Judy. Um, oh yes, he's got he's got two books. Um, led into others, uh, Alan Nation and his writings. Um, what's the? Let's see here. It's the Stockman Grass Farmer. You know, led to oh, that. Oh yes. Led to. Yes. Um, you know, I've read a few Alan Nation books. I'd like to read more. And then Alan Savory's writings. Um, so that kind of, you know, progressed. And so I kind of, we were limited to the 55 acres at the time. And we said, okay, it, it's kind of a hobby, but with a dream of it becoming more, how, how do we, how do we utilize 55 acres? That's not a lot. You know, how do we utilize that to either make our hobby 
profitable or break even, or how do we, how do we actually make a little money? So I, I can't remember if it's Joel or Greg. Some somebody mentioned or suggested to get to get started in the beef business. If if you really want to get started, buy some stockers and run some stockers. And maybe oh, maybe yes. it's someone else on a podcast. I don't remember. And so we kind of took that to heart and said, if this makes sense that you kind of have to pick an enterprise within the beef enterprise, you know, bigger beef picture, yes. you kind of have to pick an enterprise. Um, cow calf would be a lot of fun. We would enjoy that as a family. You know, we'd enjoy that a lot, but is that, what would we do with the calves? We can't really, you know, we, we ran the numbers and we were like, okay, we could raise 10 mama cows or 12 mama cows or something like that and finish the calves and sell the calves for beef. You know, what, what do we want to do here? Right. So, so we, um, we also work right away, got started with the Noble Research Institute out of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Oh, yes. They, they help a lot of uh, folks in this area and kind of ran our numbers by them. Like, hey, you know, we're trying to figure out what to do here. And they helped us like evaluate the land. I'm, I'm from Western New York. I don't know what grass grows in North Texas. You know, <laughs> there's oh, very, right. It's a little bit different there. <laughs> Clover's about the only thing that's the same, but. Um, and so they, they, they're very gracious and they, they've got a lot of data and a lot of information. And, and so they would come out and we'd talk and like, and so kind of came to the conclusion of, you know, we enjoy selling the product to the customer. Um, we're, we want to get into grass, a hundred percent grass fed and finished, uh, for a number of reasons. We wanted to have a, a higher margin product in the end, um, maximize margin. And we, 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 from our learning and our research, we, you know, we're starting to feed our family that type of product. Um, and so we're kind of going, going down this path. And so we, we decided, you know, let's market grass finished beef. Let's do it as naturally as possible. Um, some people throw out the word beyond organic or, you know, nat let's do natural yeah. grass, grass finished beef. So we, we said, okay, we can't do mama cows. One, I don't want to pull, I don't want to pull calves in the middle of the night when I've got three little kids and, you know, things, you know, I had memories from right. back home. And so like, okay, let's, let's buy some calves. We, we found it. We found a fantastic guy who's now kind of a mentor that has a herd of grass only mama cows commercial. He, he sells them all to the auction oh, barn, yes. but he, he's grass only, doesn't feed them a lick of grain. Um, very, you know, no supplements really. And so we like, okay, great. Let's buy some calves from him. So bought some calves from him the next spring after my second kid was born and, and, and just started moving them. And, and, um, we, we also have a friend from college actually in East Texas near, near where we went to school that had been doing this, but he was, I think at the time, five to seven years ahead of us. And I, I just called him one day, um, and said, Hey, you know, we're looking for calves do you have any? He's like, nope, I'm sold out. Don't have any calves. You know, I could sell all the product I can get. Okay. Do you have any heifers? Nope. Nope. I'm keeping back every heifer, you know, oh, I, yes. I, I, I need more, you know, whatever. So, and, um, you know, we, we, we kind of caught up a little bit, just, we hadn't really talked in a few years and we caught up a little bit and he called me back. I think it was a couple hours later the next day. And he said, you know, I can't sell you anything, but would you be interested in custom grazing for me? And I said, hmm, yes, but probably should talk to the wife. You know, probably probably should talk to Zori. Of, of course, I'm interested. Yes. You know, and right, so, right. So we we started um, 
we we started that right away too. You know, it seemed you know the numbers worked out, and and um, we knew he would be kind of a mentor. He's doing the same thing, selling grass finished beef into kind of the natural market in Texarkana area, and um, so he brought out a big trailer load of calves right away, and and in that he said, you know, you know, I I need to bring you a whole trailer load and you're not going to be able to run that on your 55 acres. And I said, well, I have a couple of neighbors properties. I've been eyeballing. Let me talk to them real quick. And so we just, you know, handshake agreement type leases. And then, you know, a real formal lease. We, we quickly leased, um, I think it's, it was about 150 acres, you know, basically picked up another hundred oh, or yes. so just, just neighbor land that was yes. either being hayed or was dormant. And so he, he, he brought his calves out. We put them with our little group of, of steers and we we ran them together and um learned a lot of lessons that summer you know just a lot of we we didn't even finish any cross fencing or everything we you know we're trying to do electric fencing and and trying to get to daily moves but we we, oh, yes. we hadn't we hadn't finished any fencing and so we put them into this bigger property and we kept like cutting cutting the property in half we 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 would we'd cut the property in half like okay now we only have to look for them in half the property and then we'd cut oh, yes. that in half Oh, now we don't have to look for them in quarter of the property. So finally, you know, we had this we had this plan how to get it down to be able to do daily moves, you know, and we were working towards that. But so we kept pushing the cows into smaller and smaller and smaller paddocks, oh, yes. you know, until finally by the end of the that rotation, we were we were doing daily moves, and so that was I think that was eighteen. So now we we've, we've just finished our third our third full grazing year, you know, grazing season. Oh yes. You could say, um, so we're, we're still really new. I, I, I'm learning big lessons every season, every, every summer I, I learned something big <laughs> and, uh, oh, or, yes. or, or learn what was a big mistake last season. But, um, <laughs> and now my, my in-laws have retired and, and uh, they moved up from the Dallas area and they, they live a couple minutes away. And so my father-in-law really enjoys helping me and, and, um, oh, yes. they're, they're on board and he's my, he's older, but he's my right-hand man. And, uh, I bounce everything off of him. And very good. And, uh, so if I have to travel for work or something like that, he, he comes and moves the cows or if I have it all set up, he at least checks to make sure they have water, and you know, things like that. Oh yes. So the fence is still hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do need to check that. Now, are you still doing the custom grazing or stalkers? We we are. So we, let's see, since then we've bought two other groups of calves for ourselves and we're picking up the fourth group in January. Um, and then we've, we've continued to graze for our friend in East Texas right along. We, we have a, a group of his calves here right now. And so our agreement with him is that we will manage them for a full year for four full four seasons and uh, oh, okay. hay, hay and mineral and all that. And so he, we see him multiple times a year, but he, he switches out cows once a year. Um, he'll bring a okay. trailer, trailer load of calves and take back a trailer load that we got the year before, you know, type of deal. Oh yes. And, and so that, that's been working out, you know, after he, he, he weans them and then keeps them for a month or so, 45 days. And once they're all straightened out yeah. and good to go, he brings them to me. And um, it's worked out well that it's been his heifer, a lot of his heifers. Um, oh, yes. Get, so that I can manage his heifers. So he doesn't have to worry about that at all. 
and it's, it's been good. It's been, um, you know, having that as we build our business and we build our calf group, having a steady monthly grazing fee income come in um, has has helped with cash flow and then, you know, help pay part of the hay bill and, and um, you know, just beef, beef's a slow boat to get rolling. Oh, yes. And yes. so it takes so much capital to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, um, because of, you know, when the first group of our calves were born and things like that, we, we, uh, didn't butcher them until this year. And so we actually had two groups of calves come together this year. And so 2020 was the first time we sold any beef. And, um, and so it, you know, that's a long road, you know, starting oh, in 2017 and then not selling product until 2020, um, which, you know, 2017 yes. was just great custom grazing, but, but, um, it's the ball's rolling, you know, slowly. It's it's you know, slowly gaining momentum, but uh it's it's a long road, so as you can imagine. So. Oh, it it is, and it takes so much to get started and that custom grazing piece is one thing Greg Judy really talks about in no risk ranching. Get yeah. you some lease land and then yep. graze some cattle for someone else. Yeah, so you can start the process and learn about it and um and minimize your risk involved there. Yeah. I, I'd highly recommend it. I, you know, maybe some dry mama cows might be a little easier than some calves, but <laughs> you know, in general, I, I'd highly recommend it for anybody who's wants to get started. It, it um, learning lots of lessons on other people's cattle, other people's cattle and other people's land in, in a way, you know, I, Oh yes. Um, yeah. We, we, we treat our land owners really well and try to take care of them. But, you know, there are lessons to be learned with grass management and things like that. Where, where to put water troughs and where not to, and where to, <laughs> where to run a water lane and where not to things like that. <laughs> right. And, and talking about that water. So on your farm and your lease land, what are you doing for water and how are you managing that? The answer to everything agriculture is it depends. <laughs> right it does uh, it, it always does it depends on the scenario but, but what what we've um we mostly water from ponds and um back when i had more time to read i read a couple studies i think it's the university of missouri maybe the university of arkansas that studied taking pond water and pumping it out of the pond and putting it into a trough or using gravity um you can increase your daily gains using the same water just having them drink out of a trough versus oh, yes. a pond and then reading reading what cattle can do to a pond over time and, and observing observing what cattle do to ponds over time we decided early on that we'll we'll pump water to our cattle instead of letting them into the pond so um so we've got mainly two two ponds we we pump out of and um we have it fenced so that if the pump goes down, we can let them in. You know, we're going to let oh, them okay. into the pond <laughs> versus scramble and stay up all night fixing a pump. Oh, um, yes. But, but, uh, there we have, we have a little DC pump that I uh, built a little cart and, um, we, we cart that between properties. And we, we now have enough pumps that we leave a pump in each pond, a submersible pump in each pond. Oh, okay. And a friend, a friend showed me a trick where you use a four inch PVC and put a casing down on the bottom of the pond and you draw your water from that 
the bottom of the pond, but up up a little ways, 18, 24 inches up off the bottom. So you're getting the cold, clean water, but you're not pulling silt in. And oh, so yes. those, those sit in each pond. And then when we move properties with the cattle, we, we, we pull our cart little, you know, trailer with that has my um, solar panels, my batteries and a well, a well tank, a pressure tank. Okay. And so try to keep everything mobile. Um, one, one of my bigger leases is a rolling one year lease and the landowners are very happy, but there's three landowners in this oh, LLC. Yes. And so they're very happy, but it, they wouldn't commit to anything over a one year rolling lease. So everything okay. on that property is mobile. You know, there's nothing, oh, yes. nothing, nothing buried <laughs> and um, nothing fixed too tightly if you could oh yes just yeah. just just in case one of the three you know want to go a different direction or something right um so back to the pump that the pumps are in the stay in the pond i pulled them i pulled them this fall just so i could clean them and see how they're doing but um they stay there all summer all year and then i roll up with this little trailer i hook the wires to the to the controller and the on off switch pressure switch and they they pump water to the cattle on, on that lease property. It's black pipe rolled out on top of the ground. Okay. And to, to um, currently two fixed um, trough locations, a 600 gallon and a 300 gallon at the end of water lanes and water. I, I put the use water lanes to the cow. So the cows can get to the water. That's on the, oh, okay. on the bigger property. On on our home property that I own with my my in-laws, we we just this year finished a project to bury our water lines, and we have a series of water lines from close to our pond that we have um, the Plasson quick disconnects right. that you okay, plug the in. Okay, Plasson. Yes. Yeah. You know, so we have that um, majority of the property is plumbed off of that pond, and then the other part of our property, it's kind of an L shape. The other part of the property is plumbed off of my uh, city water, my, my co-op water. Oh, okay. Um, so I have buried, buried water line here on our, on the majority. And then, then one other little lease, you know, they get water from a spigot at the lady's house, you know, and a hose thrown over the fence type of thing, you know, but, oh, okay. but uh, that, that's, our goal is that they um, can access water from their, where, the field that they're grazing in. And I, I'm hoping maybe this year or maybe the next year, 20, either in 2021 or 2022 on our, on their other big lease, I'll get water lines run down the current water lanes. So the cows don't have to be in the water lane to get water that I can oh, run okay. in the field Yes, and stay in their paddock. Um, that's the goal, but right now it's working. It's all a journey. You can't do it all overnight. Yep. So do what you can and yeah. work towards a, your um, goal there. Now, on your submergible pumps, what kind are you using? Yep. I'm using a, a low to mid-grade stainless steel model off of Amazon. It's a 24-volt oh, okay. uh, model. I don't remember the gallons per minute, but um, the one's been running since twenty early 2018. Yeah, early 2018 year round, you know, oh, okay. constant, constant operation without any problems. And I pull it and clean it occasionally and that's it. So I bought a second one 
as a backup and to just leave them in the pond. So the first the first year we were pulling up this pump, rolling up the pipe, oh, throwing yeah. it in the back of the side by side and moving it. And so that was at the top of the list for things we can do to save time <laughs> when we move cows between properties. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> Right. Now, when you, yeah. so it's pumping is pumping the water up. Now, does it pump it into a storage tank you mentioned on a trailer part of the time, or do, does it pump directly on those lines and you um, connect to them? Basically directly on the lines. I, I put a little okay. pressure tank, a well pressure tank in between to decrease the time the pump turns on and off. So oh, yes. the pump turns turns on, charges up that tank to 50 PSI or 45 PSI. I don't remember what I have it set at right now. Then as the cattle drink the water, that tank draws down. And when it hits a low pressure point, I think it's at about 20 or 15 PSI. Everything's low pressure, you know, fairly low pressure. Right. It kicks the pump back on. And the, it, that was just trial and error that I had it set up for almost a whole season that I had a pressure switch, the same type of pressure switch that you'd have on a well. I had it just in the line, in the pipe going to the water trough. Oh yes, but I would, I'd find that I was sitting there listening one day, and the pump kept turning on and off, and um, the wind was was making ripples enough in the trough to turn the float valve on and off oh, to release yes. the pressure in the line to turn on the pump. So it was just need, needed some surge protection to stop that from happening, or I thought right. I was going to lose my pump or burn up a switch, or, you know, something from just that toggling. That oh toggling yes, on and that off. constant on and off. Yes. So I intended to buy just a little one from Lowe's or Home Depot, but the same week someone threw one on Craigslist that was like, I think a 40 gallon or a 30 gallon one for cheaper than what 10 gallon was from Lowe's, you know, just that's the way it worked out. That's always good when you get something a little bit cheaper and having to go buy something like that. Yep. It's a system that works well for me here because we have a one, maybe two deep freezes a year. Um, oh, you know, yes. we, we get, we get frost. I think we've had, 10 frost but you know that a frost a 30 degree frost doesn't hurt my water system at all i i'm more concerned when i get a 20 degree night you know oh, if, yes. if i get a 20 degree night i got to turn it off and open some valves so that there's not water sitting in it oh yes but um but uh, it's not something that would have worked back home in western new york <laughs> no in, in fact tell us a little bit more about your climate there um when's your last frost or freeze when's your first one um i believe it's our average date is november 19th on the frost and this year it about was right on um oh yes last year last year was way early we got a killing frost a killing frost in early october last year um but you know november early november and then i believe last frost is uh, may if i remember right it's may something early to mid-may oh yes we get about 40 inches of rain average i think um and from my experience since 2017 that comes from september till march is my experience oh yes <laughs> for the yes. last the last maybe a rain event sometime in the year in the summer but uh for the major, majority of the year that uh that comes you know through through the winter um summers can get a little dry yeah i think it's officially it's uh i'm sorry march not may it's march mid-march is the last oh, okay last freeze day and uh, we run about 40 inches of rain um 
average, 40 average. Um, and so it's trying to trying to store that moisture to grow us grass is the sometimes the challenge. Oh yes, it it always is. Did you all go through a dry period this fall? Yeah, it got awful dry on us. We got pretty dry also. We're in a pretty good state right now, but we did get pretty dry. Our ponds are still real low. Um, they're probably the lowest I've ever seen for December. Oh yes. You know, usually we get that rain. You know, often, you know, don't want to complain about the weather at all because we like to work with what we have. But you know, we're sitting in a position, even though we get forty inches of rain. You know, often we see these weather systems go north and it hit you. Oh yes. You know, honestly. Yeah. Not 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 saying you get a lot more rain than us, but um, you know, the, just some of those systems just kind of go right north of the Red River. Red River. You know. Oh yes. Well, some of those hurricanes that came in uh, earlier this year. They came in and they looked like they might hit us, but they'd turn and go east through Arkansas. We missed out on a few of those and that, they were probably a little east for you as well. Yep. Yeah. We never got any hurricane rain this year. Um, and this fall, you know, we, we were, our grazing plan, you know, we had plenty of grass to keep grazing through, through frost, you know, in, into the frost day and then feed hay and, and, or, or cover crop. And, and uh, we were done um we fed hay november 1st it, it was dry enough that we just didn't get any fall regrowth you know we oh, had yes. one last row one last rotation and we felt like we shouldn't we shouldn't try another rotation we should stop and go go to hay so i think no, we fed hay november 1st so we've had the same thing here my my fall stockpiling really didn't happen this year um yeah. i've got cattle on hay so they don't hurt any of my grass right now yeah. Not, you know, one, one thing we did early, I can't remember if it was 17 or 18 when we bought it, but we put a scale underneath a little chute. Um, and, you know, everything's kind of temporary because I, I don't know exactly how I want my my uh, working pens set up yet. So everything's kind of temporary. Yes. But we did buy a scale and put it underneath our chute more, more to understand how to maximize gains with our native forages, you know, without. OK. You know, we're yes. not we're not doing any any protein supplements and so we just kind of wanted to learn you know how to how to improve or, and what do we have and and we've observed huge weight gains in the fall here um we we kind of say we've got two growing seasons we have the spring into the early yes. summer we've got good good weight gains there and then weight gains just plummeted in the summer um oh I, yes with 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 the management that we were doing and the grasses we had weight gains just dropped right off in the summer and then in the fall we got fantastic weight gains again um oh very so that's good kind of that's just with our natural forage you know that we have here so. yeah and you mentioned earlier uh the pasture or your land was a pasture years ago what kind of forages do you have there and what have you been doing for forages or to improve yeah. them well um when we got here again at our largest pasture was, uh, I think it's 39, 40 acres, was hayed for, for maybe decades. I don't know. There there was sign, you know, obviously cattle were there at some point. Um, right. But it had been hayed for a long time and, and yes. uh, sprayed, sprayed every year. And for the most, most of the pasture, you could walk on dirt across the pasture between grass plants. You know, just. Oh, you yes. Know, it'd be hard. It'd be hard to walk on grass across the pasture. 
and that for the most part it was Johnson grass and uh, was hayed for Johnson grass and had some oh, ryegrass yes. in the had some you know annual ryegrass come back every year in the in the spring you know um, but it was predominantly Johnson grass so um, and still I our predominant summer forage warm season forage is Johnson grass so did you do some no-till this year we did we we played with that a little bit um i i maybe got a little too carried away early on i, I after again reading having having some theoretical knowledge I, I i figured i could i could really change the course of my pastures and and my grazing with with a no-till drill and so um i think the first time i tried it was fall of 18 so at, towards the end of our first full year i had a, a friend who's got one um a mentor of mine here in town he's got one and um so he he does a lot every year and so talked with him quite a bit and um decided to dabble our toes in it and plant some wheat so we we okay. um yes locked him in to you know he agreed to plant and and uh said yeah we'll plant yours when we get a break or when we're going past your place type of thing and it was kind of a wet fall i, I don't remember all the details oh yes yeah, we we ended up we planted ours. I think it was December 11th, um, so a little bit oh, later. Yes, and um, and we were kind of in a hurry. And um, his operator at the time was certain that it was set right, you know. And and so we we planted all my wheat and ended up a little shy on acreage. And um, so we learned lots of lessons. We planted it very heavy, very thick. And, um, it grew, you know, it, it did grow. And, um, the next spring we had a very thick, um, uh, I think we ended up at, you know, we, we were hoping to still graze all our summer, summer forages on this pasture. Yes. We didn't want to hold them back at all, but I think we ended up at 110 or 120 pounds per acre, um, on that wheat and, and learned oh, yes. very quickly that, that that will choke out your summer forages you know if, if, oh, if you yes. don't do something like cutting and bailing it or you know yeah yeah there's ways to do it i'm sure you know but what we learned that year was you know grazing that thick wheat stand in i think it was april was was difficult to graze it down hard enough with the cows we had um to then allow the other forages we have there to come up you know so we basically oh, yes. tra yeah. trampled that and and probably did wonders for the soil microbes, you know, oh, underneath yes. it, but the, had no summer forage until about August or September in, in there on that, on that acre. So, so that was a good lesson learned. Um, we also have a, a drill we can rent from the neighboring counties, water district, a conservation okay. water yes. district. We don't have one in our County. So, you know, we got to pay a little bit more out of County rates or whatever, but so I figured I'd give that a try. So the next spring we, we put down a summer mix. Um, I don't remember how many acres, not a lot. It was, it was a, it was a small 10 acre, 12 acre, something like that of a, of a 10 species, um, summer mix. I, I, I got, I had a lot of fun on green cover seeds, uh, seed, uh, calculator on their website. I don't remember the name of it right now, but if you haven't been the green cover seeds website, it's a lot of fun to play with their forage mix. Um, oh, okay. Cal calculator. It's a, it's a blast. 
you may spend more money than you intended to, but it's it's a lot of fun to to play with that uh, smart mix. I think it might be called smart mix calculator. Oh, okay. And uh, and you know had had input from uh, our our forage consultant from the Noble Research Institute, and it it wasn't just a blind let's pick some seeds and throw it out there. But so we <laughs> right. we had we had fun fun with it, and we we were really hoping you know we had watched our gains the last year dip in the summer. And uh, we we wanted to try to even that out a little bit, and um, we also, you know, again some theoretical head knowledge. Like we're going to use this mix to repair this field. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna fix this field with by drilling this ten species mix. You know, in our minds, in one year. Yes. And oh, uh, yeah. it, it 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 not all of it emerged, and it got dry and hot, and it failed miserably. You know, it was just one of those oh, things yes. where. I don't know that we gained an extra day of grazing from planting oh, yes. that, that, that summer mix. <laughs> and so it was, it was a good, it was a good experience. Um, but it was, it, it, it didn't return a dime. I don't think um, oh, yes. it, maybe, maybe it, the legumes that we planted that did, did emerge a little bit, you know, maybe we sequ yes. sequestered some nitrogen, but um, as far as, you know, um, animal days that we gained that summer we didn't gain a lick right. from that mix so so uh, we took a year off to lick our lick our wounds a little bit and um focus focus on what we had and you know versus oh, yes. trying to figure out this no-till um crop you know no-tilling pastures to increase you know animal days or or to even even out to even out those slumps in the slumps in the um uh, forage there and so we we you know we're talking with with our friend here in town and our mentor and and um just you know kind of him and i were just talking one day and and um he kind of asked you know how we were doing with stuff and and um you know asked if what we were drilling i said no we're going to take a year off you know we're not going to drill anything this year we're going to focus on bringing in hay and and getting getting better at grazing what we have and uh, he said well you know i I could use a second drill someday, you know, thinking way out in the future. I could use a second drill yes. someday as a back a backup or or if weather gets tight, we'll run two drills and, you know, at the same time and we'll we'll get some uh, acreage under us. And so I said, "Yeah, we, you know, keep us in mind. We we may be interested in someday in splitting a drill, you know, and we share some other equipment back and forth and oh, the yes. guys he works the guys who work for him are real responsible with with equipment. It works really well. Um, one of one of the very few people I would do that with. But we share we share some other stuff. And um, this fall, or, I don't remember when it was. Late summer, I got a text early one Saturday morning. Hey, check out this drill on Craigslist. And uh, it was lo real local. And um, I I threw my two oldest kids in the car seats and hopped in the truck and we we took off and looked it all over and you know. Just like the ad team, it was an old, late 80s no-till drill that um, was wore out and uh, cheap, you know, inexpensive. And uh, we thought about it, and they sell fast, you know, especially 10-foot drills. Oh, yes. You know, they, just, they sell fast. So so we sprung on it, and uh, we went 50-50 on a on an old, wore-out 1987 10-foot, <laughs> you know, Great Plains drill. So uh, that was late summer. And, you know, honestly, I didn't plan on drilling anything this fall, but since we had a drill, we, we switched gears and we, we put down some, some crop this fall. So, 
we did um let's see we did a 13 species mix fall mix um on our home on our home property here and um we we been doing soil samples and then this year we started doing a haney soil sample to study the the biological um nitrogen and and other other things happening biologically you know kind of measure yes. measure what are we producing naturally is is my layman's terms of what a haney soil test does and so we did that and then we we asked somebody who knows them much better than us to interpret it for us you know what, oh, yes. what's this what, what are we looking at here and so we kind of came up with a, a, a game plan for a couple of years to um we we really don't have any uh clover or any other legumes on um our home property we've been seeing more more clover come back on our rental properties oh um, yes through through the way we've been grazing every year we get a lot more clover back it's pretty fun and I haven't haven't paid a cent for clover seed there but on our home property we, ha we haven't had any you know like i said mostly mo this is mostly this 48 big 40 acre field behind our house big for us i know that's small potatoes for others but, but um so we did this haney soil test early this year and um decided to um go ahead and plant something so we we folks couple people helped us put together a mix that was focused on improving um, our soil. So we drilled that this fall. It popped up before, well, we drilled it during that dry spell. Um, oh, yes. And uh, I was uh, running that drill without any spacers or any stops in it, just all the weight I could to try to get that seed in it in an inch on our on our oh. black clay black clay here oh yes um it, it was it was putting it in the it was putting it down but it was i i had nothing holding the drill up it was just everything everything i could do to get it in the ground <laughs> yes and that seed that seed sat there i think for four weeks before it emerged and then it finally oh came yes when yeah. the next rain so so it's it's up pretty good does had didn't do much you know since since then we've had i think two small rains um Again, we're just we're we got good soil moisture right now, but we're we're behind what we normally would be. Oh, and yes. then another another mentor of mine does quite a bit of no-till drilling in pastures, and and um, he I have a lot of respect for him. He's a, he's he pinches pennies like crazy, and um, he said, "No, I don't do that green cover seed mix stuff. That's too expensive." He said, "I I do uh, annual ryegrass and uh, crimson clover." And that's it. Just the two of those mixed in. You got your legumes. You got your your ryegrass. You're good. And I said, okay, I'll, I'm going to do that this year. I couldn't leave it alone though. I I, I threw in a brassica. <laughs> yeah. I, I threw in a turnip. And so I did another three pastures with that three way mix later. Oh, um, oh yes. I think, we, I think we did that and uh, finished that in early November. So we'll see how that does. Um, oh yes. You know, per acre per acre it was cheaper. Um, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it how it turns out. More of an experiment than anything. So, yeah, you'll gain gain great knowledge from that. I'm excited to hear how it turns out for you. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I hope it I hope it works out. Um, if nothing else, I I do believe you know putting in this the wider species mix does does a lot of work underground that we may never see. Uh, ideally, we're going to cut some hay hay days off you know, hay feeding days oh, off yes. At, yes. at the end of winter. Ideally, I, 
I hope I hope I cut a lot of hay days off at the end of winter. But but um, you know I I do know you know we got a living root in the ground and we went out you know after it emerged you know a month or so after it emerged started pulling up legumes and we saw the nitrogen module nodules on the roots and you know it's just fun thing to do with my five year old you know go out and dig up some roots and see what's going on underneath underneath the surface. Yes. And yeah. Gabe Brown, the author of Dirt to Soil, will be so proud of your species mix because he's <laughs> he's a real advocate of, of putting a lot of species on there because, as he explains, you know, our ecosystems don't have or, or are not a monoculture or just a couple species. Yeah. It's There's a yeah. lot of species out there that we can gain from. Chuck, we're at the famous four time of our podcast. It's the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. So our first question, what's your favorite grazing grass related book? And you've mentioned lots of books, so I'm interested to find out what your favorite is. That's a tough, tough decision and, there. Uh, you mentioned Gabe Brown's Third Soil. I just finished, just, I bought it a year ago and I, I made it halfway through on paper. And then I, I uh, just with three little kids now, it's hard to find time to sit down and read a paper book. So I, I just oh, finished yeah. it on, on audiobook and uh, with it oh, being on audiobook. I went ahead and just started at the beginning, went over again. So I, I think currently that he covers so much in that book. Um, and he's, oh, yes. he's in the similar, you know, similar beef business as I am in that he's selling grass finished beef, you know, natural grass finished beef, uh, direct to consumer and, and others. You know, he's got a big, pretty good sized beef operation going on up there among, among everything else they're selling and the grain operation. But, but uh, <laughs> yes. I, I I've got a lot of respect for the way he runs his beef cattle and, and um, Clay had him on Clay Connery had him on here uh, earlier this year and they went through his whole heifer development program, um, which was really fascinating. I, oh, very I good. I really appreciate that. I think it was Clay Connery had him on. Um, and uh, anyway, that, that by far would probably, you know, that was a fantastic book both. And it's encouraging too, because, you know, we're doing this, you know, high density grazing and we're, you know, trying to add in some no-till stuff. And, um, you're, I know we're moving the needle and I see, I, I see the improvement, but it's, it's the needles moving slowly, you know? Um, and you know, we're not adding, we're not adding a ton of cattle per year because of the improvements, you know, oh, I, yes. I, I see the, I see the improvements. I see, thicker you know forage so anyway he's encouraging he 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 just has that way of talking and that way of writing that's just encouraging to those of us who are just getting started so. he does he does what tool yeah. could you not live without on your farm you know i i have to say you know our electric fence energizers I, you, you can't do what we do and and um come in and you know, graze on an old wore out property without electric fence, in my opinion. I, oh, I, yes. I, I grew up doing barbed wire. I hope I never touch barbed wire again. I say that I know I will, but um, I, I really appreciate electric fence technology. Very good. What would you tell someone just getting started? Oh, read a lot having a mentor or a farmer that's in your area or somebody that you can reach out to. I'm blessed to have somewhat of a farming background, but it, it was so different than what I'm doing now that 
I, I'm currently extremely blessed to have mentors that I can reach out to either by text or call, or we have this fellow here that we, we work with um, in town that um, are open to my crazy questions. And, um, or, you know, when I get my stuff in a bind, help me out of it, that, um, man, having a mentor is doing what you want to do is, is so key. And if you can get some feet on the ground on their place to see how they're doing it, you know, you won't have those crazy nights when your first batch of heifers run through all your electric fences. Oh, yes. the <laughs> there, there may be some obvious clues of how not to put your insulators on trees and posts that may help you save a. <laughs> sleepless night but um it's i i think it's fine somebody who's doing it ideally in your area um that oh, yes. you can you can really spend some time with outside of that just read 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 i mean it's it there's so much stuff out there if you can pick up the book and and read it and, and question you know filtering how does this apply to what i want to do you know there's a lot of a lot of fantastic stuff out there that's geared towards cow calf producers that I can take snippets from, but does not necessarily apply to stocker calves or grass finishing, you know, fat steers. True. Yes. Um, but it's, you know, over time filtering, filtering that and saying, is that, does that work for me? Or, you know, would that work for me? Does that apply to me? And, and uh, just watching and learning. So. Great advice, Chuck. Where can others find out more about you? Um, I think I, I'm, try to throw stuff up on Instagram that I'm doing. Um, try to try to do it daily for marketing. Doesn't happen daily, but uh, I'm yes. on Instagram mostly. Then I'll, that throws it on Facebook automatically. Um, at, at Prairie Farmstead is the name of our, our, our meat business. And so that that's kind of the where you can find me. We, we just started a YouTube channel this year, throwing some of the videos we've been taking uh, on YouTube. And I've got a, a brother-in-law that's been helping me through that but um Very so good. we have a few things we have a few things up on youtube i'm not promising that we're gonna keep that rolling um <laughs> consistently but when we come across something we'll throw it up there and um I'll, I'll probably i get a lot of questions on facebook about that little pond pump you know how i pump my water from pond oh yeah i'll try to do a, i'll try to do a walk around sometime you know before next grazing season or just what that looks like and throw that out on on YouTube. I, I think but, that'd be really good yeah, it's 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 cheap and it's dirty and um it it's also easy to fix if it breaks. Um but um it's nothing nothing right home about and if if I was doing a lot more acreage or a lot more cattle, I would invest in a, a heavier duty pump. You know, I, oh, I yes. keep a backup you know, I keep a backup and Amazon delivers in a day or two days now. So <laughs> so if it yes. gets too big of a pinch. But I, I'd also say I don't I don't know if you'll have some notes on this, but I, I I'm also open to calls or text if especially people in this general area um, oh okay I, I i learned so much from talking through what i'm doing or why i'm not doing something uh, it's 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 incredibly um enlightening to talk through something with someone else on and answer questions of why i might be doing something the way oh I'm yes sometimes after conversations i don't won't now that i think about it I won't be doing that again but uh <laughs> true but, talking uh, yeah, through it, it's so great yeah but yeah I, i'm i'm open to call your text anytime so we, we'll put your information how other people can contact you in the show notes so they'll be available 
Good Chuck, deal. we've really enjoyed this today. Thank you for coming yeah. on. It's been fun. I could talk all night. So. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Chuck as much as I have. I really enjoyed hearing about his journey, the watering systems, and no-till. And I'm excited to hear how his no-till goes this spring after last fall being so dry. If I failed to ask the question you wanted asked, go to our website at grazinggrass.com and click on Ask Your Question. You can type in your question, and we will have a future episode that features your questions asking of our guests. Also, if you know someone who would be a good guest for our podcast, go to our website at grazinggrass.com and click Be Our Guest. And fill out the information there, and we'll get in contact with you. We are looking for producers to share about their operations. And in case you forgot, you've been listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, share our episodes with others, and leave us a review where you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, Click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.